Welcome to Breaking Form, a podcast of poetry and culture. I'm Aaron Smith. And I am James Allen Hall. For those listening for the first time, we do this show in segments. We do literary games. We revisit books that we love. We gossip. We do. We interview. We shade. We laugh. And we are not for everyone. Well, for me to even say like one here, and we talk about anything for me to say, and you've written about it, but for me, it's like, is it okay for me to say that you had a, you, you wrote an essay because your family had 133 cats? Like, you know, right. it's weird right. for me even to yeah. like, because yeah. I don't want to hurt your feelings, right. even though you're like, that right. was just reality. But the, you know, like when the, you told me the other day, like I was raised mm-hmm. in a cult. <laughs> it's right. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, right. I don't use that language a lot. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Yeah. I mean, in order to when I told Anthony about like when we talked about that in uh the real flip titty, mm. which is still one of my favorite episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's really wild. Yeah. I was telling Anthony like why I was so amazed after that we recorded that episode. I said, Oh, this is such a fucking good episode. And he said, Well, what made it so good? I was like, I didn't realize my friend grew up in a cult. <laughs> it's like, like, wait, who? <laughs> and he knows you. He's like, what? He's met your cult being ass self. Well, and so. it's like, you know, when you tell the story of like my grandfather built the church because God told him to, but he didn't put windows in it because he thought if people want to know what's going on on the outside, they'll come in. If they want to know if they're inside, want to know what's going on the outside, they'll leave. Like when you hear that, you're like, um, <laughs> it's like spring for the windows. You know? Let us have some normalcy. And he called it God's church, like not the God's church because you know, God mm. owned it. It was God's church. And like, then I met one of his sisters um, through my cousin Darnell, the one I talked about on here, who's a writer. Yeah. And she talked about um, how they liked him more before his conversion experience. So it's interesting to mm. get a perspective of sisters outside of the family. And then yeah. he went to visit them. And one of his older sisters, as older sisters can do, said, you know, Russell, we invited my brother, not the preacher. So it's just interesting because that was wow. my whole life was the religion and him as the patriarch where the sisters were like, don't bring that shit here. It's so fascinating, <laughs> yeah. Aaron. I'm thinking like our experiences of grief, you build the house with windows and I'm I'm building it without the windows. I'm like, it stays there. Nothing. If you want to, if you want to experience it, you enter. But other than that, like I want to, I build a poem because I want to put something there and leave it there and understand it there, but also so I can move away from it. That's what building the poem is for me. I feel like I build the poem without windows and then I throw the door open and yeah. I leave the door open. Cause I definitely build it in that, in that space, Yeah, you know, like that, that protected space. And then I just throw the doors open, but you and I are both over sharers. That's like, we both share too much. Like even today I had to have a meeting with someone um, at, at the university. And the first thing I'm coaching myself, don't share too much. Don't be too chatty. Wow. <laughs> I did. I have to have like a coach because no. I'll be like, cause I'll say too much. And I'm like, oh my God, next thing I know, I'm making like a stupid like joke. That's probably like not okay. And it's not nothing like crew, but just like, I'm mm-hmm. saying too much about my life, you know? And I'm like, they don't want to know this. I, I don't want them to know this later, but I can't help it. Yeah. No, I'm saying, wow, because that sounds like something I need to do. <laughs> like mm-hmm. as a, I'd never heard that people do this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm like, doing. 
I say like, if you don't speak in a meeting, then you can buy and you can go down to the bookstores and buy a beautiful new book. Mm. But then I usually end up speaking in the meeting and feeling stupid. And then I go buy a book to give myself a present for breaking, for speaking. Like I deserve one for speaking as well. So when your book comes out, when it becomes a physical object, it's already like people can look at it on Amazon. It has a cover, it has a no cover. No, no cover, just the page. Oh, but what's okay. funny is they had me listed under the wrong category and then they accidentally put another author's blurbs under mine. So the marketing director and I, he, he's funny. He's like, he's like someone just messed up, but it makes me giggle. I'm like, I don't remember David Lehman writing me a blurb. And then I realized they have like another author. So mm -hmm. they're fixing all of that. So maybe don't look yet. Maybe give them a couple yeah, of weeks right, to get right. situated. Well, and who knows when this will come out too. Yeah. I wrote my first book arrived and I remember like assembling people because they wanted to be part of this mm -hmm. thing. I, I don't make a real ceremony of my books arriving and unboxing. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm glad people do. I think that's mm -hmm. really, really yeah. great. Love it. Um, that's great. Um, and so I opened the box and um, there was somebody else's book. And I thought that was perfect and hilarious. And yeah, just that, you know, somebody messed up and sent me, you know, uh, a book about um, the Supreme Court. <laughs> so <laughs> Justice Blackman. Can I just say, though, like, obviously, I'm so happy and grateful that my book was taken. You know, uh, new editorial staff took over when Edo Chester retired, and I'm just endlessly grateful. But as I look at the object coming, it makes me feel so tired. This is exactly what I was asking. How am I going to get through it? Like, I, you know, I'm just going to be honest. It's so weird. We do this show and we laugh a lot. But you know, I, my mental health has been in the toilet lately. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many more things that, yeah, I can't even, <laughs> I couldn't even, you all wouldn't want to hear it. And I couldn't even begin to run it all down for you. You've been literally exhausted. Oh, I am mentally, yeah. emotionally, physically exhausted. Well, I told you that you thought I was joking. Cause I say it in a funny way, but I've been unable to go through the five steps to log onto our school's internet. <laughs> And you thought it was just being funny. I'm like, no, like I literally like get to number two and then I just, and I tried again yesterday. I'm like, I think I made it to three. And then if it doesn't do exactly like what it says, like, I just, like, I, I just, I can't do it. Like, it I'm short like, circuits you. I just yeah. can't let it in. So like all last fall when I taught, I was never able to log onto the internet at school. I would download all the documents before I got there. But I don't know how I feel about this coming out. Like I want it out. It feels like it's the fifth book of poetry I've published. And it feels like it is the tail end of like a series of books. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a series, but there's something about this one that feels like it, it goes there. I've since written a new book with Maureen Seaton, who we you know mm -hmm. had on the show, but yeah, I don't even know. Part of me is like, I don't know what, what to do about it. I don't know what it means. I, in some ways it's coming out in January, which I kind of like, it's like the cold month when everybody's like mm. nestled in, but yeah, I don't, I have no idea. Um, I just, I feel a little exhausted by it actually. Like yeah. it's one more thing I have to take care of. It's interesting. So in romantic comedy, there's a few, there are a few poems about my father in that, in that book. The one that I feel is the most revealing about my grief for him is actually a, a sort of a surreal situation where I take the, you remember when Anita Bryant was pied in the face? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is the moment I love, I watch that um, 
like I could watch that on a loop. I have it bookmarked. We will link to that. Yes, we will. <laughs> Everyone should see it. Yes. I really feel like that was the moment of my conception as a human being and a, mm. a, a queer person. Um, mm. And so I wrote this poem that that imagines Anita, Anita Bryant as my mother and yeah. the guy who pied her in the face. Yeah. Um, whose name isn't readily available. Even right now, I've forgotten his name, although I've looked it up a million yeah. times. Mm-hmm. Um and he, of course, has died from complications due to AIDS, mm. right? But he imagines him as my father. And mm. I feel like the emotion I have for that man in the poem is the most analogous to the emotion that I have about my father passing. But you um, do that in your first book, Now You're the Enemy. You you write about your mom as the Republic of Texas. You So you go into this long c- conceit. So there's something about going in that. But I do think as distancing as that might seem to people listening, I think it also asks questions back to you while it's happening. And you're like, huh, is that true? At least for me, when I've done that, it's yes. like it asks me questions back. So it's not just about me inventing, but it's also inventing for me. Like, hmm, what's that mean? Or does that feel true? And there's something about it. So it gives you a distance, but then it's also challenging you. It's you're absolutely right. It's 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 a method of feeling, but it's also a method of inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is like this two these two mouths, me saying and this saying something back to me, and that resonating, mm-hmm. that metaphorizing resonating mm-hmm. um, that allows me to to deal and to cope and to write about really difficult subject matter. Now, I've had different people tell me that I should write a memoir, and I've always thought about like I want to try that, but I feel and after the realization about writing about mom through the poems, I feel it's almost feels too vulnerable to write nonfiction Mm. because you have to say that it's true. So is there something like if you end up writing about your father, do you think it'll go through essays or do you think it'll go through poems? Because I do feel like the poems have a more protective barrier because you can, you can be slippery. Well, I exaggerated that. I made that up. You know, we read the lyric I as absolutely true. Most people do outside of poetry, mm-hmm. right. but I tell my students, if you write something, you say it's true. People will be like, nah, I think you made that up. But if you mm-hmm. say it's not, if you say it's not true, that's absolutely true. You're lying. You can't win. Yeah, it's right. No, that's absolutely right. That's been my experience too mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. The, the nonfiction book. This can't be true. These are, um, it's just nutty, right? Like mm-hmm. having 130 cats and, you know. All the all the other stuff. 133. I know. I always say 130. <laughs> it's right? like you round it down. Just like I round it down because 133 is just too much. Well, one thing I want to say before you answer that is mm-hmm. Irene McKinney, who was my teacher, she said people would ask her, like, is that true? And she was like, Yes, it's true because I made it. And they couldn't ever get what she was saying. It's like, but is oh it true? God. She's like, it's not, it's not about that. It's true because I made it. Yeah. And it was always thought I think about that a lot, how she oh. talks about truth and you know redefining it in ways that's not you know that's not going to just truth, not truth. I remember this story that um Lucy Greeley used to tell people when she released Autobiography of a Face and she was reading from it, someone came up to her after the reading and said, How did you remember all of that dialogue word for word? And mm-hmm. she said, I didn't remember it, I wrote it. Mm. Yep. 
And that's good writer shit listeners right there. Right there. Right. (laughs) Good stuff. And what she meant was like, she was true to the emotional emotional truth, the emotional truth. truth. Yeah. The, that had, you know, been left from them. And that's so, so I guess I have two answers. One is that clearly to me, I hadn't thought about this before, but clearly to me that it's um, taken seven years. It's my father's death writing about it has rested seven years in me because it's going to be prose. Mm. It's going to be prose. So you have to, so you have to tell the quote unquote, like literal truth in a certain way. But I like what Lucy Greeley saying. I didn't remember it. I wrote it because there is a truth in that that's very yeah. different from memory, from like right. absolute. I think that's the thing. Like, there's a larger meaning that's being made. There's a larger truth that's being made. And what's your second answer? My second answer. And now I just remember the first because we're chatty, Kathy's, and I took you off task because I get ideas when I talk to you. <laughs> there's an when I knew we wanted to talk a little bit about grief and writing. And I guess mental health. There is a, a short story that I read. The book came out in 1996. So I was told about this author's work, um, Rebecca Brown. I was through, just thinking about no, that. No, you book. weren't. The Gifts no, of the were. Body? Well, that's okay. Yes, that's the one that I was told about. Mm. But then I found a book of her short stories, and oh. I believe it's called. What what keeps us here? What keeps me here? We'll look it up and fact check it because mm-hmm. um, it's upstairs. So knowing we were going to do that, there's there's a short story. It's not an essay. Sorry, it's it's a book of short stories, and I re- I read it only one time years ago, but I think about it all the time, mm. and I don't know why I hadn't read it again. So I pulled it out last night, and I went and got in bed, and I was reading it, but I was kind of falling asleep. Not because it was boring. I was just really tired, but I thought, I want to read this, and it's called The Aqua Series, and it's about an artist who starts... She's making these big, beautiful canvases that are full of color. It's like the light's coming through, but then she starts sort of obsessing and thinking that's not right, and she starts figuring out how to scrape the paint off and then she finally does it till like there's no paint and there's just a little bit of like maybe gray that it seeped in or stayed. And then she starts pulling things off the wall of her studio. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, that's it. That story feels so much like my mental health. Like I've told you when I got back to Massachusetts, I've just wanted to pack up my condo. I have nowhere to go, mm-hmm. but I want to pack every single thing up and put it in a box because it's like I need it to be clear. Like I need my mind's too messy, so yeah. my home can't be right. And and that's when I was trying to write my second book. I couldn't get it done because my life was messy, and I couldn't let the poems get messy because mm-hmm. there was too much mess. Well, and now of course I've remembered the second thing that I was going to say. The second thing is that I experience emotional events in my life and i want to instead of writing to record it like you were saying about um your mom the experience of grieving your mom like you wanted to get this down even before like you were still you were writing while she was sick mm-hmm. i thought um, she i thought she deserved it yeah of course that, that's a weird word deserve but i thought she should have her life her and her death recorded yeah and when what I want is I want to I want to have enough space to forget the stuff that will need forgetting. Hmm. And so 
I don't, I don't write in a moment. Um, I've never been a diarist. Um, and I find that when I'm writing in the moment, I, it just, there's all this stuff. Like there's so everything like, and you can't, you have to edit out. So I want to just, I want memory to be the editor and the compressor, right? So that way, when I start remembering, I start writing, it's, it's already sort of compressed and I, the interpretation, the meaning, the pattern is accessible for me when I go to it, because if it's not meaning and pattern aren't accessible, when I go to, to feel it again, then it feels overwhelming and hopeless to me. Hmm. I'd say fitting you were thinking about the gifts of the body. And then when I you said 96 and um, this, you know, a book that like about grief, the, that's the book that I go to. All everybody, the time. everybody was talking about that book. Fucking love that book. Yeah. And then it's yeah. like, but the short stories that one, I just think about, I think about it so often of her scraping everything away because she needed, she just, everything had to be white again. Like everything had to be clear. I'm like, I, I think, and I've read it one time. I need to read because I always feel like I'm misrepresenting it. You know, I, my memory has changed it to make it what I need it to be. But I also don't mind that because I, I just keep thinking about it. I think about it. I thought about it for 20 years without ever opening the book again. And do you think because when the act of remembering something like changes the memory, like the act of recalling those files damages the files or changes those files chemically in our brain. Mm -hmm. Do you think that doing that is, is, is why you wanted to write in the moment? So you didn't want memory to be damaged. Yeah. I, th I think it was, I think the experience of helping my mother die was so significant that I wanted to have it as exact as possible because it was the most significant thing that I've done is taking someone that you love to the place that it is that we go and they go. And I told Belinda, I said, I can't hardly watch TV when people die and, mm. their, and their eyes are open. I'm like, they're not dead. I know what eyes look like when the life goes out of them because I was looking at mom when it happened. And Belinda's like, I wish I would have seen. I was like, I'm glad you didn't. I said, I said, they're just, it just changed everything. But I said, I, I just, I can't even explain them, but I have like those eyes in my book more than once, but there's something I needed it to be exact. Like I needed to remember exactly what happened. And I wanted, because it was so extraordinary, I didn't want memory to mess with it. Um, there's a phone call that Belinda, that mom had sent. She'd called me and my sister, and we think my cousin just left a message like thinking about you. You know, I love you. And mom's voice was higher than I remembered it. And I panicked. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't remember the way I thought this, this voice is higher. So I feel really, and I'm not saying that there's not something that I think is right in the book that's not, you know, but like yeah. it's as close to accurate as I think humanly possible for someone who went through it. And that's what I think it did for, you know, it did for me was the, the lack of distance satisfied the part of me that needed to be specific. Just like thinking of, or while you're talking, what I also remember or was thinking of, you know, my dad had suffered a life-changing, mind-altering stroke and heart attack mm -hmm. 
in 2003, about 10 years before he died. So we'd lost him in stages over 12 mm-hmm. years. And so, you know, when my dad died in 2015, is that really my dad or was that the person that, because he, his personality changed, mm-hmm. like his temperaments changed. So I really lost the person I remember as my father in 2003. Maybe I, I didn't want to remember 2015 dad. I wanted what I had of 20, 2003 dad. And I had spending more time just in grief outside of writing, trying to remember mom before the illness. Um, but like I go upstairs and there's a yellow chair in my study and I heard when she came to visit, I heard something, I went upstairs and she was crying Mm -hmm. and she's like, I just don't know why I have to go now. And she said, I thought, I thought I would get to live to see you and Belinda get old. Mm -hmm. And that was a big deal for me because I didn't know that we, Belinda and I, neither one have gotten married, neither one has had children. That's just not been something that we've wanted. And I didn't know that she had dreamed different dreams for us, things mm-hmm. that were going to sustain her. So I have had to try to go back before that, but then I have objects around me that are very particular to, you know, the, ex- the experience. But when I left mom, I'd spent the summer with her. We were in Dollywood four months before she died. And she was definitely weaker, but we were there. And I have a poem called Mom and I Went to Dollywood. You know, I have that Lynn Melnick. I know you would like <laughs> you'll you'll like the Dollywood poem. And but when I left, she was in pain. And I remember she looked at me, and it's no secret that I do not love living in Massachusetts. And I was always dread coming back. And she said, Well, just think you'll be home in 14 Mondays. And I almost called the book that, but it just didn't cover the whole book. But I have a poem called 14 Mondays. Yeah. You know, so there's so much that I wanted to catch from doing that. Um, so, but now I am trying to go back and remember her. But then some of the poems are about when I was a kid and who she was, but she was still that through my own trauma of being gay of trying to like not go and lose my mind as a kid and all of that stuff. Well, so, and living in a cult. And living in a cult, <laughs> wishing I had 133 cats. <laughs> <laughs> so really the cats were living with us and we were in the cult of the cats. Yeah. Yeah. So right. you were in a cat cult. That's and I right. Was just, I was in a Christ we were being cult. kept by them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> People came over and said, blink twice if you're free. The cats would have the ceremony. They'd say, bring forth the humans with the food and we come. Yeah. Don't tell me one of them sing memories. <laughs> <laughs> Since this conversation's been about memories, we'll go off with the cat singing memories. Oh my god. Hey James. Hey Aaron. Welcome to the fact check. Thanks everybody for listening to what turned out to be, I think, a, a serious episode. But I think we do a lot of laughing and we like to check into sometimes and think, okay, you know, <laughs> there's so many other aspects to us. Yes, hopefully. that's right. Hope, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> so I'm going to start off this fact check actually with a, a little bit of a quiz. So okay. we mentioned the song Memory from Cats. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which, you know, is based on that musical is based on poems by mm-hmm. T.S. Eliot. Yes. Um so you know it's been covered like 600 times Mm -hmm. do you know whose version has gotten the highest rank on the billboard hot 100 susan boyle 
No. Mm, Taylor Swift. You would think, right? Yeah. Barry Manila. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's amazing and also a little sad. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> I, I think it's amazing that I know it. Like it's <laughs> better. Like he, he Barbara Streisand's like topped out at like something in the 50s, you know? Wow. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, otherwise, things that we maybe need to say. I mentioned the activist who pied Anita Bryant in the face. Mm. On October 14th, 1978, two days before my second birthday. I, <laughs> I was like, four. Right? I was four, yes. I just like to think it was like a, an early birthday present for me. Mm-hmm. Um, his name was Tom L. Higgins. He was one of four activists who disrupted that press conference. And um, after being hit in the pie with, in the face, Anita said, at least it's a fruit pry before breaking into sobs, which is kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, I have no sympathy because it's her. So, yes, right. you can laugh. Well, and then the other thing that happened was like her husband was with her and he immediately says, oh, let's pray. Nobody hurt this man. He's allowed to stay. And then afterwards, he found them in the parking lot and threw, threw remnants of the pie that he must have scooped up from the floor at mm. them so, so trying so hard to act like he's so holy inside the building and then going outside and acting like that exactly mm. it's such a metaphor for the church i know uh, hi <laughs> you mentioned a rebecca brown book it's called what keeps me here yes and it was published in 1996 by harper collins so i mentioned lucy Greeley being approached after a reading uh by someone who said i can't believe you remembered all of that detail and patchett says that lucy greeley said i didn't remember it i wrote it i'm a writer mm. and i actually after you told me this i told this to one of my students this week isn't that great yeah i was like you don't yeah. have to remember it you have to write it it's a different kind of you know memory different that's kind of right process. that's right yeah and that um that whole story is recounted in Patchett's memoir of their friendship. It's called Truth and Beauty. I love that. That book was also a subject of like a book ban. Like she was, she went through a whole thing in North Carolina. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know that Lucy Greeley's sister was a little upset by the, by that, by that book. Mm-hmm. Although she also said something like uh, that Ann Patchett was a better sister to Lucy Greeley than she was, which mm, was yeah, mean, kind sure. of beautiful. Yeah. So that's the fact check. Yay. Yeah. And I'm really glad people listened to this episode too. I know it's not always the easy listen, but it's cathartic. Well, and I think that it also speaks to some, what some other people are thinking about dealing with. Like we had one friend email us and say that they'd send it to their students Hey everyone, if you like today's breaking form, please go to the Apple Store and review us with five stars. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Breaking Form Pod and be sure to check the show notes for references. And remember, we're not for everyone. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was the back chat for, 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 for part two. Where he did the part one. Part one's playing oh. now. Marijuana! 